Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. We're excited that you joined us today. We've got another powerful and life-changing message to encourage you and bless you in your walk with Christ. Let's get right into it, and I'll get back with you shortly. You can be seated for just a moment. Jesus, the Son of God, left heaven and became one of us. He walked through what we walked through. He experienced what we experienced so that we would have a Savior who's experienced what it looks like to walk on this earth. He didn't come because we had the answer. He came as the answer. Easter, the the most pivotal moment in all of history. Honestly, because without it, Christmas would just have been the birth of another person. Without it, the cross wouldn't be for all of us. I know many of you, you might wear your cross necklaces, but I'm trying to bring a new thing in. We're going to wear empty tombs. Because <laughs> honestly, without the resurrection, there's no proof of purchase. It's like a receipt that Jesus comes out of the grave holding and saying, I have really truly paid the price for each and every one of your sins and there's no need to try to keep paying it yourself anymore. We aren't here to worship a set of rules. We didn't gather to worship tradition or to even pretend that this is God's house. We're here to worship a risen Savior. Because of the resurrection, we have hope. We have power that we can be justified. We can be certain that the worst thing that can happen to us in this life, death, has already been swallowed up in victory. He didn't cheat death. He beat death. He didn't look the other way from our sin. He looked at our sin eye to eye, and he paid the price for it. And the resurrection, it changed everything physically, mentally, spiritually, eternally. Death is beaten. Our eternity is secure. We're now one with the Father. The sacrifice of the cross is for all those that will bow their knee and confess that Jesus is the Son of God and believe in their heart that God raised them from the dead. Because of the resurrection, our preaching has power. Because of the resurrection, we have a certain hope. We could celebrate Easter every single Sunday of the year and we still wouldn't even come close to touching what it means to have resurrection power coursing through our veins. But we do have hope that one day we'll be resurrected, but also hope that one day this earth, this earth, will also be redeemed and resurrected. The resurrection changed everything. But in a really personal way, this is what I've been holding on to this year. The resurrection changes everyone. Not just those who seemingly have it together. Not just those who come from good families not just those who hadn't done too much bad in their lives or 
never made a mistake, but the resurrection, it changes everyone. His death and his resurrection were not just to change things. It was meant to change us. You, me, all of us needed changing. Peter. Anybody know Peter? Anybody self-recognize us with Peter? You're like, yeah, that's, that's my dude right there. I feel Peter. Hot-headed disciple. The dude who, in not trying to be culturally cute right now, he would literally cut you. The model of self-sufficiency. The one who looks Jesus in the eye and says, uh, uh, Jesus, yeah, you're, you're not going to the cross. You can't do that. Jesus looks right back at him and says, does anybody remember? Get behind me, Satan. How many of you would have left the church over that one? Another time, Jesus is on his hands and knees, undoubtedly with Peter's foot in his hand, trying to wash his feet. And what does Peter tell Jesus? No, you ain't washing my feet. Peter had it all figured out himself. But you know, the resurrection would change Peter. The one who also proudly proclaimed that he loved Jesus more than all the other disciples. The one who also said, I will never deny you, even if it means prison or death. And what does Jesus say? Peter, um, actually, you are going to deny me. Three times before the rooster crows. How about John? Before he was the beloved, you need to know his nickname was one of the sons of thunder. Look in your Bible. There's some good stuff in there. Y'all, you're missing out on it if you don't know this good stuff. He was one of the sons of thunder. He had a judgmental attitude towards others. Jesus takes him on a, I guess you call it a missions trip, to Samaria, a place where people have been ostracized and really hurt by the institution of religion. And they didn't readily accept the message that Jesus was preaching and teaching. So you know what John's response is? Hey, Jesus, come here real quick. I need, need to talk to you. Jesus walks over. John says, do you think we should pray right now and ask God to rain down fire on them? Jesus looks at John and says, John, you don't even know what spirit is controlling you right now. This is the same guy who had his mommy go ask Jesus, can, can, um, can, my, can my boy James and his brother sit beside you in heaven? It wasn't that John was too ambitious it was really that he had set his sights too low. He wanted power in the here and now, but the kingdom that Jesus was bringing was not for the here and now. It was beyond. How about Barabbas? Rightfully in jail, a lifetime criminal. He had committed some violent acts against the Roman government. And it was that time of the year when they would let, they would let a criminal go. And so Pilate has the, the criminal 
Barabbas and he has the suffering servant, Jesus, and they literally pick the hardened criminal to go. Honestly, just being yet, for those of you who are part of our church and you've been through our This is the Bible series, that's gonna take about seven years. You know, it's just nothing more than a shadow of what was about to happen that he would not just literally, but he would spiritually take our place. And the religious crowd made up of the the scribes, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees. There's a lot of C's there. You see, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the idea of a resurrection. So they were in danger of losing their territory when Jesus comes on the scene performing miracles. You see, the supernatural threatened them because Jesus came in a way that they couldn't explain in their cute little acronyms and books. They were okay with God in heaven, but not okay with God on the earth. Spiritually blind, supernaturally bankrupt, they had reduced God to someone they could control. See, the Pharisees, they were another group. They had issues with Jesus for a whole different set of reasons. And honestly, the Pharisees get a bad rap. The Sadducees were a little bit crazier though. Pharisees had, they had decent motives. They they wanted to see spiritual renewal happen among God's people, but they went about it the wrong way. They thought that they could create more rules and these rules would somehow get the people in shape for the Messiah to return and then they could experience spiritual renewal. How many of you know that's backwards though, right? We don't get our mess together. We don't follow the rules and then our heart is changed. Our heart is changed and then we begin to live out the abundant life that God says that we can have through Jesus. The most famous of the Pharisees was a guy named Nicodemus. He's perplexed when he's trying to understand salvation because he's been a man that has tried his whole life to follow the rules. And Jesus really makes it simple. And he says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. It wouldn't be long before most of religious scene would actually kind of fade out. Why? Because the resurrection, it changed everything. It changed everyone. And how about the women? All the Marys. We could spend a month on that. Living in a society when women had no say, they had no rights, they had no privileges. The fact that Jesus had a heart for them spoke volumes to his heart for all humanity. Understand this, Jesus came to redeem every single one of us, but he also came and redeemed people groups as well. These women who saw him were the ones who never left his side. They were fearless. They were there during the crucifixion 
they saw his body being laid in the tomb. They were the ones, and, and one of them actually bankrolled his ministry. They were the ones who were, who never left them. These women that were not even eligible to testify in a Jewish court of law were chosen as the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Kind of reminds you of when he came into the earth and the first ones to get the announcement were shepherds. It's just God's way of doing things. Hey, if you're a believer, we live in an upside down kingdom. He doesn't think like we think. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. But what was Jesus saying? What was he doing in these women's lives? He was flipping the tables of modern thought. Jesus was saying that everyone matters, different yet equal, playing different roles, but just as important because the resurrection would literally change everything. And then Judas, this is the one that I scratch my head on over and over and over. We call him the betrayer, the one who was so close, but yet so far away, obsessed with money and practical thinking. Jesus was not the savior that Judas wanted. Can I just say this real fast? We are Judas. Every single one of us have a part of us that is just like him. We want to be saved in the here and the now. We're willing to trade now for eternity. C.S. Lewis wrote it. It's like we're trading in heaven for mud pies. But Judas, think of this. When we think of him, we only think about the kiss the bag of silver. But remember this, Judas left everything for Jesus. Judas also gave him three and a half years of his life. Judas preached the gospel. Judas cast out demons. Judas was a part of the group that went around performing miracles. He was locked in. He endured great persecution. He walked a lot of miles. He won't ride around in a fancy jet. He did the same thing the other disciples did. He proclaimed the kingdom of God. He heard the Sermon on the Mount. He saw the greatest life ever lived up close. You can't have a better model of Christianity or a more intense discipleship program than what Judas experienced. We don't know exactly why Judas sold Jesus out, but we do know that he was obsessed with money. And just hours before the cross and a few days before the resurrection, Judas, he does something. It's this really sad three set of verses in Matthew 27, three through five. It says this, I'm just gonna read it. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. And he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders. And he said this, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And what did they say to him? 
What's that to us? Fix it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, the Bible tells us that Judas went and he hanged himself. Confronted with the weight of his sin, Judas ran back to religion to try and make things right. He ran back to the rules. He ran back to the building. He took matters into his own hands. He tried to buy back his right standing with God. He even confesses his wrongdoings. But what does religion tell him? The same thing Please hear my heart. Please hear this gospel message this morning. It tells him the same thing it tells all of us. Fix it yourself. But you can't. We can't fix it. Judas almost made it to the resurrection and not the tear anybody's theological nerves to pieces but this might I just happened to wonder what would have happened to Judas if he could have laid his eyes on a resurrected Jesus but life would never be the same for Judas and not in a good way the trajectory of his life completely changed but it didn't have to I think it could have been different because the resurrection, it changed everything. The resurrection, it changed everyone. But before the resurrection, there was a cross. But after the crucifixion, how many of you know there was a resurrection? And doing God things in God ways, which is the way that he does everything, before something can be brought into a new creation, the old has to go away. So our belief, our faith, it doesn't stop at the cross. It extends to the empty tomb. The Romans even, they begin paying people to try to start rumors, knowing what it would do to, to their empire for the resurrection to be proven to be real. It wasn't a hoax. It's not a myth. The resurrection was not a magic trick. It was an invasion. God left heaven and came to this earth. And he did what we could not do. He paid the price for our sin on that cross. And then he came back to life. That's the gospel message don't make it complicated. Don't add a bunch of things to it. It's just Jesus. That if we confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart that he is the son of God and that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. But more than an invasion, this was a, it was an invitation. Back to the garden to walk with him in relationship again in the cool of the day. It was an invitation for us to come back to the Father. We, we make things 
really complicated. But the gospel message is really this. It is a message that shows us how to be in relationship with God. It's not about rules. It's not about traditions. It's not even about our past, our present. It's about a relationship with God that can only be had through Jesus. There is no other way. If you came to the altar of change and what changed you were rules and church attendance, you're not saved. If your salvation is based off of grandmama praying, you're not saved. Look, how many of you thankful for praying grandmamas? We don't belittle that at all. But you know, that's not what saves us. Now, do those prayers put us in a position? Oh, heck yeah. They worked. But it's only through Jesus and what he did on that cross and in the direction. It was an invitation for us to come back to the Father. It was an invitation for us to come home. Resurrection, it changed everything. It changed everyone. And it can change you. And it can change me. It took a hot-headed, self-sufficient Peter and turned him into a rock. It took a power-hungry, egomaniac, son of thunder, John, the same man that tried to call down fire from heaven to destroy people that wouldn't hear the gospel is the same man that Jesus, while he is transitioning, he's on the cross, he looks down at him and says, John, take care of my mom. It was the same guy. The son of thunder became the beloved. Now, I know many of you you're thinkers and you're like, well, 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 this happened before the resurrection, Pastor Daniel. I thought you said the resurrection changed is what changed people. No, you see, John had spent three and a half years living side by side with the resurrection. Don't miss this. So many of the things that we want God to do for us have already been done in Jesus. He is the truth. He is the life. So when we are in Him, we have life. He is the way. So when we are in Him, we are in the way. He is the resurrection. It took a violent criminal, took his place. It even took the religious. It met them on their terms in the middle of the night so as not to be seen by anyone. You see, Jesus even took those who were steeped in tradition and those who relied on their tradition for their salvation and he broke those chains and gave them a robe of righteousness. While silent at first, Nicodemus He would be the one who would buy the spices for Jesus. He would make a public 
proclamation of faith. Joseph of Arimathea would let him technically borrow a tomb. He didn't need to keep it long. The resurrection elevated women to the same level of importance as men. What the culture saw as weakness in these ladies, Jesus saw as a part of the image of God himself. Their deep emotions were a reflection of the Father. The way they loved was a reflection of the Father. He trusted them when the culture differed, and he partnered with them in ministry when religion wouldn't. He first appeared to them. Sorry, guys. And it radically changed them forever. Why? Because the resurrection changes stuff. It changes people. Jesus changes us. The resurrection consequences can be summed up in one word, hope. And so many different kinds of hope. But this morning, I'm just talking to you about the personal hope that we can have, that not only will we be saved, but we can be transformed into the image of God. We can talk like Him, think like Him, speak like Him. That what He started in us, He'll finish. He ain't a quitter. Judas, though, ah, gotta come full circle with old Judas. You see, Judas was not that much different than Peter. Both were dogmatic. Both were opinionated. Both of them tried to take matters into their own hands. Both of them betrayed Jesus. Judas betrayed the life of Jesus. Peter betrayed the heart of Jesus. Both sinned. Both messed up. And both of their mess-ups were predicted by Jesus. But what was the difference? Judas had remorse. Peter had repentance. Judas was overcome with what he had done. Peter became overcome with who Jesus was. Judas ran back to the laws, back to the rules, back to religion. And where did Peter run? To an empty tomb. Judas looked for the answers within himself and Peter looked for the answers within an empty tomb. Judas ran to religion, but Peter came home and Peter was changed. Why? If y'all know what I'm going to say right now, you ain't been listening. Because the resurrection, it changes everything. It changes everyone. So this morning, my plea to you is this. Quit running to everything except the tomb. The door is open. Technically speaking, if you look at some things that happened post-resurrection, Jesus didn't need the stone to be rolled away so he could come out. We needed the stone to be rolled away so we could come in. So we could see that he is not there. He is not 
here. He is risen. And because he is risen, we can have hope. Come home. Many of you, you need to come into relationship with God this morning. Through Jesus. And I'm going to ask you right now. If the Spirit of the Lord is drawing you, I'll explain it like this. When the Spirit of the Lord draws someone to be saved, it's almost like blinders get pulled back from their eyes and they look at themselves and they say, oh, I really am a sinner. But just as quick as they see themselves as a sinner, they look to Jesus and they see him as a savior and as the solution for their sin. And I'm going to ask you this morning, if you'd bow your head, close your eyes. If you are here this morning and you are not saved and the spirit of the Lord is drawing you to be saved, will you just slip up your hand right now and say, that's me. Anybody? Yeah, I see you. Praise God. Yes, ma'am. Praise the Lord. Yes, sir. I see you. Yeah. So with everybody looking up, the, the, the Bible says this. The Bible says, it doesn't say that there's this thing called a sinner's prayer that saves people. It doesn't say taking a trip to the altar of a physical church saves people. It says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus is the Son of God and that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So we're just, for those of you who are saved, you won't have any issue praying this all over again. But if you just slipped up your hand, let's just do that out loud with our mouths because there's something spiritual about saying something out loud. Let's say it together. God, we say that Jesus is the Son of God and that you raised him from the dead. Save me. Change me. Give me new ways of thinking. Give me a new life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made a decision the Spirit was drawing you to be saved and you listened this morning, one of the first things that I could tell you to do is to go public with your faith. One of the ways you do that is by getting baptized. It's kind of like an announcement to the world. And when you're baptized, I would suggest you invite as many people as you possibly can to your baptism, especially those that know the old version of you. And when they're like, why are you getting in water? You're saying, well, it's representing what Christ has done inside of me. When I go down into a watery grave, I'm coming back up a brand new person. Now I want to ask you a second question before we go home because we're not in a hurry because this is Easter. How many would just say like, I, I, I hadn't spent a lot of time at the Lord's table recently. You say, that's me right now. I, and I really need to have some communion with God this morning. Anybody, anywhere. You just slip up your hand and say, that's me. I see you, yeah. There's a bunch of people in the first service, yeah. Here's what I'm going to ask us to do. 
I don't know when we'll dismiss. And clearly, you're free to go whenever you want to go. You're grown folks. But I am going to ask if you would, step out of your seats and just join me in this altar for, for just a few moments to just sit at his table. Would you go ahead and just step out? If you enjoyed today's message, we want to encourage you to join our Facebook online community. Search for Bethel Church Online for more great content from our pastors and leaders here at Bethel. Join us next week for another inspiring message.